Our scripture lesson today comes from two of my favorite verses, one in Hebrews and one in Romans. Let's share in God's good word together. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. How do you picture God? Does your image have more in common with Santa Claus who gives good gifts to good little Christian boys and girls? Or does your picture of God look more like Jesus who washes feet, feeds the hungry, and welcomes all? Think about your family Christmas traditions. How many of your family's traditions focus on your own comfort and pleasure? How many of your Christmas traditions focus on Jesus and what's important to Him? I hope in the next few weeks we will discover a different kind of Christmas together. A Christmas with more joy and less stress. A Christmas with more peace and less hurry. A Christmas where Christ is placed at the center of our lives and stays there as King of Kings and lover of all souls and Savior of the entire world. Doesn't that sound like a good Christmas? Now, sometimes we miss Jesus at Christmas because we're looking in the wrong places. The world is looking for the elaborate, the expensive, and the extraordinary, which is why we miss Jesus. We look for the extraordinary when God uses the ordinary. And this is great news for us because by definition, most of us are ordinary people. That means God can use us. And when we're willing to do all that we can, God will do all that we cannot. Thanks be to God. This gives me great hope for a different kind of Christmas this year. I hope you'll join me each and every week for a different kind of Christmas. Certainly it will be in 2020. It was a different kind of Thanksgiving. And even where we are, no matter what our circumstances are, God is with us and this gives us hope. And so I want to uh, let you know how excited I am about a different kind of Christmas this year. And we're gonna uh, go through this series all the way up through Christmas Eve candlelight um, and the Sunday following. So I hope you'll be with us each and every week uh, here in December. So, uh, let's get started. Just in case you might be an odd person who would like to be really miserable this Christmas, uh, I've got some news for you. I can tell you exactly how to do that. Uh, the first thing is to overspend. That will make you miserable, not just in this season as you do it, but certainly in January when you get your credit card bill. It will just be a terrible Christmas. Overspending. Shoppers have racked up an average of more than $1,000 in debt at Christmas over the last number of years. Uh, to be fair, it's, it's significantly higher than that in some years, but um, given the pandemic and some of the financial reporting of the last, uh, you know, 20, uh, they're not exactly sure what those numbers are yet for this year uh, or what they're going to be. But uh, year in and year out, uh, Americans are spending more than $1,000 at Christmas, uh, most of that and even more on their credit cards. And then they're paying 14% interest on top of it, and it is depressing And it is a way to have a miserable Christmas. Uh, Something else that might be on your mind this Sunday after Thanksgiving 
is overeating. Yes, oh, overeating. That's a good way to have a miserable uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas because on average, you may have heard that you gain five pounds at the holidays. You don't. You only gain two. But uh, the bad news is you can't get it off once you get it on. That's been really tough. It's only two pounds, but those two pounds can be really hard. People don't shed it very often, not even by summer and sometimes never. So be really careful what you're eating over the next uh, few weeks of the holidays because it's a good way to make you miserable. So go out there, take a walk this afternoon, have a good time with your family. Don't overspend, don't overeat. And finally, you may have guessed this one. Yep, over-worrying. Trying to have the perfect Christmas, trying to have things just so, trying to, you know, actually direct other people's lives. That's a recipe for disaster and misery. So, don't over-worry. In our country, friends, the U.S. life expectancy has fallen since 2014 due to obesity, alcohol, and suicide. Friends, these things are all preventable. And the people who are dying at a higher rate are largely middle-class white folks um, by our own destruction of our own habits. Uh, And a lot of this is about coping mechanisms with our worry. And so I want to invite you um, to spend less, eat less, and worry less. And just know that God has you. God is with you. And you can have a different kind of Christmas full of hope. And so I want you to see how to have a biblical Christmas Um, It's very uplifting to me and exciting to me. I want to share with you how we can do it. This is how you do it. First of all, if you really want to have a great Christmas, you got to start at the beginning. And that is, it's not your birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. So first, right out of the box, we just have to get this right. Christmas is not your birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. Christmas is not your birthday. I want you to say this with me. One, two, three. Christmas is not my birthday. Yeah, just say it out loud. Christmas is not my birthday. And now you can just release all of that. All these weird expectations that you have that people are going to give you all these kinds of gifts at a birthday party that's not your party, right? That would be weird, right? So just release all of that. Go enjoy the party that is for Jesus. It's his day. Do things that would make him happy. And as you do that, it'll make you happy. Next, I want to invite you to be open to experiencing God in unexpected ways. God is going to come to you, but you never know when and you never know where. And so often it'll be in places that maybe you didn't expect. God does that all the time. Um, As long ago as the prophet Isaiah, we have these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Does that seem odd to you? unexpected to you that a virgin will conceive yes that doesn't make any sense on the face of it unless you know the story of jesus this scripture doesn't make any sense written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of christ this was a prophetic word to the people of god that god was coming into the world a god of hope i want you to think about how god chose to come to the world god chose to leave heaven in the person of jesus and come to a 13 to 14 year old girl named Mary. I want you to think about how traumatic this would have been for her, how difficult this would have been to be an unwed teenager in that culture could cost you your life. Yet the scripture tells us that Mary was 13 to 14 years of age when she conceived, carried and gave birth to Jesus. That's what most scholars think about how old Mary was. 
The scripture says it like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed. Well, I guess so. Yeah, you would be. Mary was perplexed. She was just a teenager. Perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. A very important message for an unwed pregnant 13-year-old. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. Bringing to completion the prophecy of Isaiah hundreds of years before. The angel says he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And in ways that maybe are a little lost to us in the Protestant tradition, the tradition of the ancient church lifts up this young girl as the very theotokos. It's a Greek word meaning bearer of God. That this young peasant girl in a one-stop-light town named Nazareth comes and bears God to the entire world. And we celebrate it this Christmas as we have for thousands of years before and all those that have gone before us. You see, friends, God bursts miracles through ordinary people in all kinds of places, even places like Nazareth. And as I said, Nazareth was a one-stop-light town. Uh, Now, granted, they didn't have stoplights back then, but in Oklahoma... Uh, when you're driving somewhere and, and you're coming in and you know how it goes from 65 to 55 to 40 to 30 to 25. And then there's just this one little blinking stoplight. And then it's 35, 45, 55, 65, and you're on down the road. That's what Nazareth was. Chantel and I actually had the great opportunity to go to Nazareth. Um, and it's not, you know, one of the places that a lot of people want to tour because there's nothing there. It's not like the capital city of Jerusalem. It's not like uh, the seaside um, cities like Tel Aviv. It's just a one-stoplight town. And that's where God chose to come to earth. So wherever you are, maybe it's not fancy. Maybe you've never heard of it. Wherever you are, God can meet you there. And here's the crazy thing that you may not have ever thought of in your life. And that is that God wants to birth a miracle through you. If God can work a miracle through a young 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl named Mary in a one-stop-light town, God can work a miracle through you. Because it's not about capability. It's about availability. And God is ready to bring His kingdom to earth again. So we sing and we pray, King of heaven, come. We are ready for you to do a new thing. Birth a miracle in and through us. Because here's the great news, friends. If you're ordinary, you are a great candidate for God to use. To bring his kingdom to earth in the same way that he used Enoch, in the same way that he used Elijah, in the same way that he used Gideon, in the same way that he used Mary, he can use you. But here's the thing that we often don't like to think about when it comes to miracles. And that is that miracles take time. The miracle of Jesus took at least nine months in the womb of a young girl. Miracles take time, friends. We have a God 
of all time and all eternity. We don't have a microwave God where things just happen in a moment. We have a God who works in and through and around us century after century, millennia after millennia. God is ready to work a miracle through you. But it's going to take some time. And it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some grace. And it's going to take a community to bring that to pass. So here's the thing. Mary didn't do this all by herself. Mary finds support, safety, and confirmation through her aunt Elizabeth. This is John the Baptist's mom, Mary's um, aunt. And so I want you to see what happens in the scriptures. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. Now this is interesting. If you grew up in a small town like I did, you know that small towns talk. And it wouldn't have taken much time for Mary, uh, for the word to get around that something was going on uh, with she and Joseph. That they weren't married yet. And word on the street was she was pregnant. She wasn't showing yet, but, you know, people talk. So she's got to get out of that small town. So if Nazareth wasn't small enough, she gets out of that small town and goes out to the hill country. Now she's just out in the country to go visit her aunt Elizabeth because she was beginning to show. So watch this. Mary goes out to Elizabeth and where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. They were husband and wife. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary remained with her about three months. About three months. Imagine being an unwed teenage girl fleeing to the country to stay with your aunt until it was time to deliver your child. Just to get away from the whispers, to get away from the looks or the glares, to get away to be safe, to fulfill the miracle that God had placed in you. And Mary remained with her about three months, and then she returned to her home in Nazareth. Now, there's no record of Mary's emotional state from the time she received the Annunciation to the time that she gives birth, other than she needed to go see her aunt um, while she was carrying Jesus. I love the way Carrie Newhoff, um, a colleague of mine, uh, puts it. He's also a mentor of mine. He says it like this. He says, breakthroughs are often preceded by breakdowns. Hang in there. And the scripture never tells us that Mary broke down, but kind of reading between the lines, you could see how this would have been a very, very difficult time for her. And I, I just wonder if maybe she didn't have some heart-to-heart talks with Elizabeth about what was going on uh, within her and around her as she was carrying Jesus. Maybe she had some fear. Maybe she had to hold on to those words from God through the angel. Do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid. And we're reminded by the story that miracles can happen anywhere. Friends, miracles can happen anywhere, anytime, to anyone if we're open to it. And then there's Joseph. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Mary had come back to Nazareth and now they were headed to Bethlehem. 
Friends, that's about a 70 to 80 mile journey north to south, depending on the route, 70 to 80 miles on foot or riding on a donkey. Because he was descended from the house and family of David. He had to go register in his hometown. And so he went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and he was expecting a child. And while they were there, not at Elizabeth's where she had support, not even in her hometown, but 80 some miles away in Bethlehem in a barn, came time for her to deliver her child. And as she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth, she laid him in a manger, in a horse trough, because there was no place for them in the inn. And you have to wonder what was going through Mary's mind. She needed someone to come and comfort her, someone to remind her that what she was going through was real, and it was good, and it was right, and it was beautiful. And that's the thing about miracles. That's the thing about hope, is that it needs to be confirmed through others, and thanks be to God, it was. By the least of all people, shepherds, herders, people working with dirty sheep. The scripture celebrates them in this way. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy to all the people. For all people. To you is born in the city of David this day a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Yep, God had told them exactly what they would see. And he confirmed what was going on through the shepherds. He confirmed that to the shepherds through Mary in the manger. And he confirmed to Mary what was going on through the shepherds. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about the child. So they were confirming God's good news to Mary, that she was right where she was supposed to be, doing the thing that God wanted her to do, bringing a miracle, the very salvation of the world to earth. Thanks be to God. They confirmed, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Friends, the miracles come, but they come at a cost. Miracles come at a cost. Will you say that with me? Miracles come at a cost. And so if you want a miracle this Christmas, if you want a different kind of Christmas, if you want hope this Christmas... Invite Jesus to come in and to work that miracle with you. But know that it will require some effort on your part. Miracles come at a cost. We flash forward now some 30 years. Jesus has grown into a great teacher and God himself walking the earth, healing the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. And the religious leaders of his time would have none of it. And they would use Rome to place him on a cross. And Mary, no longer 13, 14, now in her early 40s, probably 43, 44 years of age, is at the foot of Jesus at the cross. Mary was at the cross of her son Jesus when she was only about 43 years old. 
Now, friends, I'm 53 as of this week, and I can't imagine what it would be like to lose one of my sons 10 years ago. I don't know how I would deal with that. And I can't imagine being in my early 40s and having my son cruelly tortured before my eyes, lifted up on a cross, going through a sham trial, knowing that the religious leaders had taken him and falsely accused him and used Rome to kill my son. And then to be there to watch him die. The scripture says when it comes to Mary, though, that meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said this to his mother, woman, here's your son. He's caring for her even then, um, having John take care of her. And then he said to the disciple, John, here's your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Mary was right there through his entire ministry, gave him birth, brought the miracle of God to earth and was there at his death. I want you to think about this. Mary had to choose between despair and hope. All that she'd been through, all the promises she'd been told, she watched them die on the cross. And I wonder what her prayers were like that night. The scripture says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women. There's our answer. She chose hope, not despair. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there at the beginning of the church in Jerusalem. Mary is there at the founding of churches um, all the way up through Turkey. Mary is there. Mary received the Holy Spirit. And she helped start and lead churches from Jerusalem to Ephesus. Jesus is raised. Jesus ascends. Jesus is coming again. And this is what we wait for at Advent. And in our waiting, and in Mary's life, in her waiting, we do not despair, we hope. Two years ago, Chantel and I had the great pleasure of going to western Turkey uh, to visit one of our families there. And we came to the house of Mary. There's a huge statue um, that marks the area where she, uh, she came to the end of her life, having started churches um, through Israel and up all the way into what would be um, Ephesus in our Bible or Selchuk, Turkey today. And when you come into the area where um, tradition says that Mary's life ended, you have this little plaque, the house of the Virgin Mary. And then people from all over the world for all time, can come to this little place and remember 
that the miracle, the hope of the world, the miracle of Jesus, the hope of God in the world came through this 13-year-old girl who never left him, never forsook him, and said to God, let it be with me according to your word. The greatest prayer anyone could ever pray. God, let it be with me according to your word. If you want to work a miracle through me, let's do it. We celebrate this day because Mary let her hopes, not her hurts, shape her future. So this year, we hope for a different kind of Christmas. This Sunday is the very first Sunday of what we call Advent. And Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming. It is this time where we prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of Jesus. And the people of God have always been the people of hope. In Jeremiah 29, 11, in a very difficult season for the people of God, the prophet says this, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for harm, to give you a future with, say it with me, hope. And our hope is not only in what God has done back in the Bible centuries ago or thousands of years ago, but also in what God is doing today and will do when Christ comes again. So we live as a people of hope. Say that with me. We live as a people of hope. And so Paul writes to the early church in Thessalonica. He says this, We don't want you to be uninformed, friends, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. No, that's not our story. We are people of hope because we know that Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And we do expect to be with Jesus now, this day and forever. The Bible promises it. Those who've gone before us have shown us the way and we stand in this hope of Christ. For the Lord himself with a cry of command, with the archangels call and with the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. And friends, we encourage one another with these words of truth and of hope. But there's a choice to be made. Despair or hope. Comfort or the cost of a miracle. Mike Slaughter puts it this way. When all is said and done, most folks would rather have a holly jolly Christmas than to give themselves as a womb for an honest-to-God Christmas miracle. I want to thank God for the gift of Mary who would suffer the cost of carrying God into the world, for raising God, the Theotokos, the bearer of God, the one that trained him up, the one that taught our Lord and Savior Jesus how to pray. I want to thank God for Mary. I want to invite you to consider being a womb for a miracle, to carry God's good kingdom here in this earth. So our action steps, ways to actually bring this to bear, to bring God's kingdom to earth. One, we invite him to do it, and then we play our part. So to have a better Christmas, to have hope this Christmas, I want to invite you to set a budget, to spend less this Christmas. We don't just naturally spend less. We actually have to know what our budget is and actually spend less and make sure that the things we're spending um, honor God. They actually honor Jesus on his birthday. And then this won't be new to those of you who've been a part of our church for a long time. You know that around here, one of the ways that we honor Jesus is we add up all the things we spend on ourselves and our families for Christmas, and then we make sure that we give at least a dollar more to Jesus on his birthday. 
We do this at all of our Christmas Eve candlelight services, uh, our Travelers, can Travelers candlelight service, uh, and you can certainly do that online. Uh, just total up what you're going to spend on Christmas, make that budget, and then make sure that you're honoring Jesus uh, more than your own comfort or pleasure this Christmas. And then, maybe this is the most exciting part, take 15 minutes of uninterrupted time to ask Jesus what he wants for his birthday. Really, take 15 minutes of uninterrupted time to ask Jesus what he wants for his birthday. Maybe you take a walk uh, without your phone and you just ask Jesus, okay, this Christmas, what is it, Lord, that you hope for through me? And then give it to him. Really, give Jesus what he asked for this Christmas for his birthday. And that would be a wonderful, hope-filled, different kind of Christmas. I want to share with you a true story that was shared with me roughly 20 years ago, October 1st, 2000. Howard County Sheriff Jerry Marr got a disturbing call one Saturday afternoon. His six-year-old grandson, Mikey, had been hit by a car while fishing in Greentown with his dad. The father and son were near a bridge when a woman lost control of her car and hit Mikey at a rate of about 50 miles per hour. Sheriff Marr had seen the results of accidents like this before, and he feared the worst for his grandson. So when he got to St. Joseph Hospital, he rushed through the emergency room to find Mikey conscious and in fairly good spirits considering what had happened to him. Mikey, what happened? asked Sheriff Marr, his grandpa. Well, Papa, I was fishing with Dad, and some lady runned me over. I flew out into a mud puddle and broke my fishing pole, and I didn't get to catch no fish, he said. Now, as it turned out, the impact propelled little Mikey about 500 feet over a tree and in the middle of a mud puddle. His only injuries were to his right femur bone, which had broken in two places. Mikey had to have surgery, of course, to place pins in his leg, but otherwise, the boy was fine. The next day, the sheriff sat with his little grandson, Mikey, to keep him company in the hospital. And when they were alone, Mikey said, Papa, did you know Jesus is real? Well, the sheriff replied a little startled, well, well, yes, Jesus is real to all who believe in him and love him in their hearts. And little Mikey just looked at his papa and said, no, I mean really real. What do you mean? asked his papa. Mikey answered, I know he's real because I saw him. You did? He said, yep. When that lady runned me over and broke my fishing pole, Jesus caught me up in his arms and laid me down in the mud puddle. Jesus is really real, friends. We have this hope this Christmas because Jesus is really real. Jesus is with us. Let's celebrate his birthday and honor him together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us, that you are the gift of Emmanuel, and that you are the miracle that has come to earth to show us the exact imprint of what God is like, full of love and life and joy and peace and goodness in the midst of struggle. Help us work with you this day and pray the prayer that you taught us by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen.